Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we wanted to have a little bit of a discussion following up last week's interview with Becky Castle Miller, a really good conversation on just the nuance of emotions and uh, how we construct them uh, based on a lot of information. It's not just a gut feeling and it has a certain emotion attached to it. Like we, we really construct emotion through uh, the lens of what we know uh, with our own personalities, the family of origin, um, our society. So lots of things go into that. Um, and we wanted to just further that discussion a little bit as we discuss what that looks like. I mean, obviously we talk a lot on Enneagram here, so we're all coming from a different lens and we're all uh, experiencing things differently and internalizing those differently and communicating them differently. So let's just, I don't know, break that down a little bit. Well, okay. <laughs> just pick, pick one of those things I threw out there. <laughs> um, I, I was remembering the conversation we had with Becky last week and um, you were talking, I think you asked maybe about emotional expression and or about stoicism maybe. And her response was, well, our personalities cause us to express emotion in different ways. So I think it's important to realize that we're not necessarily talking about the expression of emotion. Although I think even that we all express emotion, even if we're not emotionally expressive. Yes. Right? Yeah, I think so. So if we're internalizing something, we've constructed an emotion, we've internalized we're reacting to something inside, we're still going about our world in a way that's expressing how we felt inside, even if it's not being emotionally expressive. Maybe we're expressing by shutting down. Maybe we're expressing by uh, getting angry at someone. Maybe we're expressing by all the stuff we've talked about before, right? Looking really perfect and busy, but that we're still expressing whatever just happened inside of us. Yeah. So she was talking about your affect may be different, but that doesn't mean you're not experiencing, right? Or maybe not as experiencing as many highs and lows within a given amount of time. So like a four on the Enneagram is going to experience more highs and lows within a shorter amount of time, but that doesn't mean a five on the Enneagram doesn't experience those same things. Right. Or right? expressing those same things. They're, it's just the way that we view what it looks like to be emotional or emotionally expressive is going to vary from person to person. But the truth is we're all hit with emotion, whether we and, know how to and we're all hit with the message that being emotional is a vice, I think. Yeah. Or that some emotions, like we said, are good. Some are bad. Some, we know that's not true just based on how, how you've used good emotions as self-protective measures. I mean, we all do it to an extent, but you've been really upfront about how you've done that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, or that bad emotions are bad somehow. Like it's bad to be angry or bad to experience grief Or we've clearly seen that example that Becky brought up, you know, with Jesus in the new Testament, experiencing what we would call bad emotions, but in a way that was healthy. So I don't know, are we talking about how to healthily process through them or. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I wish we did the, the groundwork. <laughs> I wish we did the video on this sometimes because your face just went through about 10 different emotions in that one question mark. <laughs> I was very expressive on my question. <laughs> well, okay. I asked her a question last week that we didn't really have time to delve into, but I'd like to discuss that a little bit. Some of what we see in the emotions of other people around Jesus are their reaction to him, right? And so um, I've been around people where I've just been really authentically myself and it was too much for them because they are more stoic or they don't express much, or they're just a different Enneagram type who doesn't experience things the way I experience them, whatever. Um, and 
me trying to be more open and more vulnerable actually caused a negative reaction in them, mm. which at first would make me go, oh, then I must be too much. Right. But as I've grown and learned, I'm like, oh no, they're, they're just not comfortable with vulnerability. That's actually not on me. Their reaction had to do with their own comfort level with vulnerability. It wasn't because I was too much. Um, and so I wonder sometimes with Jesus, like he, he was just authentically himself, right? He didn't learn the sinful self-protection that we have learned. He didn't learn manipulation the way that we learn it. Like he had true feelings and emotions about things and he truly expressed them and didn't hide anything. He was not disintegrated within himself. And so some people were drawn to that because they were like wholeness in the flesh. I want that. How can I experience that? But I imagine that some of the people throwing, wanting to throw him off the cliff, for example, were maybe uh, put off by this vulnerability that he was just transparently walking in. And so it makes me kind of think about how we interact with one another so often, the things that we would consider fights or disagreements or people we don't like is often the way all of our emotions are bouncing. Like if I'm expressing this, but you don't know what to do with that, what do you do with that? Or you don't like me because of the way that I don't express and you wish I did, or just all of this constant flow of communication that's happening totally below the language. (laughs) Like it's all happening on this emotional, uh, physical cue, you know, just think about every interaction every day and how we just make decisions, whether we like someone or don't like them because of the way that they express, right. Or that we think it was rude or we think it was, um, or we think they're pitiful or I don't know, just all of that. That's what it kind of was. I left thinking a lot about after our conversation with her, you, I feel like as an Enneagram four, you probably have a lot of words about that because you probably have felt like you're too much for people by being more expressive in your emotions. Yeah. It was interesting. Cause I think you and I talked about this earlier this week about like what emotions, like growing up, which emotions were okay and which ones weren't. And I was thinking about that and going, well, different populations of people that I was with, some were, some thought it was more acceptable for me to not express emotion at all. Some thought it was okay as long as the emotions were good emotions. We just don't talk about bad ones. And some of them didn't even like the good emotions because then I was just in your face too much about it. So I think we learned how to adapt to the expectation other people have on us and how they are reacting to our expressions. Did I answer that? Yeah, I think so. So one of the things that intrigues me then is deciphering our own emotions because we we spend a lot of time decoding how we feel based on how people react to what we express yeah and then we get to a certain age and I think that that's part of just the developmental stage of being a little kid and and growing into the fact that we're not a little kid anymore now we're in these tween years where we're aware that people have a reaction to us and I don't know that you can just skip that development part, right? Like that's a developmental stage, but at some point in your maybe mid twenties, I don't know, you get to this point where you're like, but what do I feel? And how do I feel about the way I feel and what's going on internally with me? And that leads a whole path of self-discovery that for me has lasted 20 years to kind of undo some of the things that I wrongly did when I realized that what I was expressing wasn't being met with acceptance or maybe was being met with rejection or, or was being met with acceptance. And so it reinforced that that was a good thing, you know? So double down on that. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a podcast a few months ago, or maybe it was a book I read, couldn't even tell you, um, where the person said that 
we all send a version of ourselves out into the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not until we can understand who we are behind that version of us that we can really start finding that wholeness and that integration. I, I don't think she used those words, but if we're all sending a version of ourselves out there, it's because we've decoded the different populations that we're with and figured out what version do they want to see. And we've talked about that with like Enneagram threes are like naturally really good at that and don't even realize they're doing it. But I think all of us to an extent will do that in some way, shape or form. Oh, totally. Well, when we do the Dauntless Grace teaching, we actually talk about how we project the story outwardly that compensates for those, the hurtful, painful story we're telling ourselves internally, right? So the way that we compensate may not always look like um, the way a three would do it, right? Because we all have different ways that we're going to do that. But, but there's a narrative that we're telling ourselves about ourselves and about the world around us. And then that's too painful. So without even knowing it, we project this other story, this other narrative out there. And I think that's the part, actually, if anything, if we could really break this down, probably it's that projected image that is too much for people because it's not authentically us. Mm -hmm. It's what we've constructed to show people. And people react to that because it can be manipulative without us even knowing it. It can be aggressive without us even knowing it. It can be a pull-ish. What was that? Or too standoffish. Too standoffish. Yeah. All of those things are ways that we've protected that other story that we're kind of afraid to show. Yeah. I think it's when we can really see that for what it is and then realize when we're doing it. I I texted you just the other day and I was like, um, I'm catching myself trying to figure out what part of me needs to show up for this thing, you know, like which version of myself if I'm going to send there. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem very integrated. I'm like, right. That's <laughs> That's why I'm telling you, I'm catching myself thinking through that, like, like kind of subconsciously, but it was in my, I was literally thinking, okay, so if I'm going to show up, this is how I need to act. So I'm, I'm not realizing that I'm sending a different version of myself out there, but because we've talked about it so much, I could recognize it in the moment and go, okay, that's not healthy. So why am I struggling with what part of me needs to show up instead of just showing up as me? I love that though. I think that's so healthy. I think we live unexamined too often, you know, and we don't know that what we're putting out there is the thing that is what we constructed to protect ourselves, but it's actually doing the opposite of what we need. Like, I don't want to feel rejection. So I do this thing that makes people reject me. Like that's such a common, you know, thing that not we all do, but a lot of people do, or I want connection, but I'm afraid of it. So I'll be standoffish. Like you're, you're, you're doing the thing that you don't really want to do because you think it somehow will get you what you want, but it always does not work. Like, oh, every, we have learned through all of this Enneagram teaching and coaching that every biggest fear of every Enneagram type, we put up protective measures so that that fear doesn't come true. And every protective measures we, we lay up ourselves ends up self-sabotaging right into that fear. Yeah. I could go on all day about what that looks like as an Enneagram one, right? Like, I need to look perfect to feel like I'm not corrupt, but then I do all of these things to ensure that I can't be judged. So then I really can't ever get what I'm looking for, which is let me look perfect. Because even if you say that it's good, I will tell you all the reasons it's not, or I will be too busy to do anything really well. So I can't actually be judged. And so all, and then all of those things actually end up keeping me from the thing I'm really desiring, which is if you see me in my mess, is it okay? 
And the truth is I don't let anybody get there because I was too busy putting out this other story that I was not a mess. Well, yeah, because you didn't realize what your deepest longing there was. You thought I need people to see me perfect. Mm -hmm. But what you really wanted were people to see you imperfect and be okay with it. Yeah. But you never gave anybody the chance to. So, I mean, we all, every single Enneagram type, even the ones who think that they don't care what people are seeing or think that they don't care, they're always just showing up who they are and just take it or leave it. Um, uh, I'm looking at you aggressive numbers, but I mean, as a four, I can do that too. And I think that's another layer of self-protection. Like if I pretend it doesn't hurt, then it doesn't hurt. I can talk myself into that, not hurting. Right. Or that bravado to be like, well, I'm just who I am. Like, well, but who are you? Do you even know who you are? Or are you just putting up a self-protective thing out there to make sure nobody really sees what you think is wrong with you? And even if you are showing up in all of your raw, honest thing and like, well, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Is that serving anyone else for you to, to have it? Or is it poking at them and jagging at their self-protective layers in a way that's painful? So we've gone in a couple of circles here. Yes. (laughs) I could talk about this all day, but there's no point. (laughs) Well, what we're saying is we need to show up and be our authentic selves, but we need to know who that is versus this projected thing that we put out there. And so when people are reacting to us, are they reacting to these self-protective emotions we've constructed to present a story or are they reacting to us being vulnerable and showing up authentically for who we really are do we even know who we really are okay so there's point one are we really showing up as ourselves or are we all still walking around with some kind of version of ourselves yeah right I I think more often than not it's the second one of those that's point one there was a point two that you were coming to I think yeah, well, then what do we do with the emotions that we are feeling? How do we decode those so we even know if we're authentically feeling it or we've constructed something that we think is more acceptable to people? Okay. And then once yes. we figure out what we're actually feeling, then we can deal with how are people reacting or how are we reacting to other people's emotions? So how is our expression of who we are affecting the people around us? that or how do we how do we read what other people are giving us too and then have judgments on them so like it's really yeah it goes back and forth in that relational it's really easy for an enneagram eight to be like i was just joking haha to take it or leave it you know and then like some of us more sensitive numbers feel a little picked on and we're like and they're like don't be emotional about it it's like well of course i'm going to have an emotional response to that that joke or that little um, dig you got in there or whatever. Um, but it's also easy for me as a one to sound really judgmental of things in my attempt to keep my own standard up. It really has nothing to do with the other person and for people to have an opinion about me based on that. Right. So we can't just, I don't know, you were talking, um, about another situation earlier, you know, assigning morality, like, If we, so is it bad that the Enneagram one is being judgmental and it's good that the Enneagram eight is just like, just joke about it and have fun and it's all fine. Don't take offense. I mean, why is one better than the other? They're both us being protective in a way of our own selves and not really caring about how the other person is being interacted with. What's your solution to that? My Jory and I, my 13 year old and I were having a conversation the other day about just a relational conflict she's been experiencing and I said, well, are you able to say to that person, it hurts my feelings when? And she said, no. I said, well, 
I understand that would be hard, but I think that that would be met with, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how that was affecting you as opposed to every time you hit against that pain point, instead of blowing up at that person, can you say it hurts me when? And she was like, absolutely not. So I, she's 13. She's still learning it. I get that. But her self-protection is that fine, then I'm just going to be angry and I'm going to turn it right back on you as opposed to let me express my hurt here and try to be vulnerable in a relationship that I'm telling her, I think that's safe enough for you to do that. And she doesn't see that. Yeah, no, I think that's good advice. Um, And also when we are more aware of our own triggers and issues, I think it just naturally lends toward more empathy toward where other people are coming from, which is what I love about the Enneagram is it gives you empathy because I can understand now when an eight is doing something that they kind of looks like a bully. I can like have a lot of empathy toward that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're coming from this place of woundedness and hurt. And they don't even know it, you know, just like I can have more empathy toward myself that I'm coming from a place of hiding desperately something I didn't want people to see, you know? Um, And so first of all, having the awareness that this may be safe enough for me to express, right? But also then the awareness that if I am coming from a subconscious place that I don't even always know how to figure out, they probably are too. And probably what they're talking about really has nothing to do with me. That's a huge, I don't think at 13, you can really understand that because you're just so self-absorbed still in that stage of life. But understanding that almost like 99.9% of what other people are doing has nothing to do about you is really freeing. Maybe that's one of the keys of getting older. Like, oh, this, that's your issue. I mean, I'm not saying I can't apologize if I did something to contribute, but also not just walking around like a teenager, assuming that whatever they're talking about or doing was, had me in mind. (laughs) I mean, it's still, yeah, it just happened the other day, right? I had a, I encountered someone and I walked away and I texted you and I was like, this is a story I'm telling myself about what just happened. And you said, well, probably it wasn't about you at all. And this is what was going on in their mind at the time or whatever. And it's just like to have that perspective that, oh, like whatever encounter we just had, like we both walked away thinking and feeling completely different things about it. Yeah. And telling ourselves different stories about it. Absolutely. So instead of being like, oh, I guess I need to avoid that person from now on because that was an awkward encounter going, oh, maybe the story I'm telling myself is not how they read it at all. And maybe this, maybe they had a completely different story. Of course they had a completely different story. We always do. Right. So I think that's just some maturity that comes from once you've done some work yourself. Yeah. You know, and you realize how nuanced it is and how complicated it is. I mean, it is, we don't even, we've been working on this on ourselves for some of us a couple decades. And I still don't always know why I'm triggered or why I had a reaction or why shame hit me the way it did. I have to really spend some time asking the Lord to help me see it. And then when I see it, I'm like, oh, of course, why did I not know that? Well, and what you and I have done is we've been able to say, Hey, this comment that you just made, instead of going, you hurt me, we can go, I feel a trigger from this. And I don't mean trigger in like some snowflakey kind of way, but like this had a pain point for me. And I think it's because of this rather than I've never felt from you, like, Oh, you're assigning blame to me for a comment that I made. It's like, this had a pain point and here's what it hid in me. I'm going, okay, well, this is, I understand why I said it because it was coming from this place of pain in me that hit you. Right. And I, I don't know. I think because of the vulnerability in relationship, like we've always come back to that. This really has to be lived out in relationship where it's safe to be that vulnerable. Um, so I know that doesn't happen with everyone we're just encountering, but if we can work it out in those intimate places, then it's easier in the external places to 
not make it all about ourselves, I guess. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. It's like, if we have a couple of places where it's safe enough for us to really process this and see in real time, how something in me is hitting you or in something you is hitting me or how we both told ourselves a story that had nothing to do with what the other person did. Cause it's just our own story that we tell ourselves all the time. Then it just gives more compassion and awareness in these bigger areas in life. You know, not every conversation can you sit down and be like, so you said this in a meeting the other day and I really had a problem, you know, you right. can't do that in every relationship, but we can recognize that, Oh, that hit that same thing in me. That's probably the story I'm telling myself. You know, I don't, and if it worst case is if I really feel like I overstepped somewhere, I can go and extend my grace to that person by saying, I'm sorry if what I said offended you. And I'll usually almost every time I do that, I find out from the other person, what? No, that didn't bother me at all. You know? And again, I, I even took that on as that was my fault somehow. And it still was not the story they were telling themselves, but it does allow us to walk with a little more courage in those places because the more vulnerable we are and we're met with like a real um, connection in that and it's safe and it keeps proving that it's safe to be vulnerable and to stop the story that we've spent so long constructing to tell and project, then we have a little more courage to show up in other places in our life that maybe those relationships aren't necessarily proven to be safe, but we're coming from more sure ground internally. So what I express doesn't need to be met by you with something because I'm sure enough in my own to be okay with just this is how I feel and it's how I'm expressing. I think it also helps us just learn the difference between what can we give compassion to that maybe someone else is reacting out of their own pain point versus what is actually a boundary violation to who I am and I need to step back from whatever that conversation or environment or relationship that is. But we can't just, like, it's, I think we could walk around and either never see abuse for what it is or a sign of use in too many places. And I think this would give us the discernment to really see what is a boundary violation and what is someone else's just pain point. That makes me think the same could be true for how many people blame Satan for everything bad that's happening. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not saying that there's not a real enemy out there, but a lot of what you're dealing with right now is all between your two ears. It's all about you. He, he was like, I mean, they got their own issues. I know it winds them up. I'm just going to watch them work it out. <laughs> oh. Also, I don't think Satan is necessarily sitting with all of us all soon. He's not omnipresent. Right, right. <laughs> Probably small potatoes to what he's working in the worldwide global context, you know? <laughs> that's, a, that's his own conversation. That would be fascinating. But yeah, <laughs> we, we give him a lot more credit than he deserves. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So. Anyway, yeah, I think let's let's all just deal with our own soul issues here and we'll probably find that the Holy Spirit in us is enough to come against any <laughs> trap that the enemy sets if we're just aware of what the traps are. And yeah, we're setting our own traps. <laughs> now, again, not to say there's not real spiritual warfare and I am not condemning that. I just, it made me laugh because I do feel like there are camps of the church, not the church worldwide, but there are camps in the church that declare everything, you know, spiritual battle. But anyway. Well, I think an aside that we don't need to spend any more time on. I don't know. I think that's an aside I could spin off of real easy because then on the off flip side, it's like, oh, I prayed about it. And God told me this because I know this because I have a real sense of peace. And we have seen in people that we are reading who work with emotions and parts of us and you know, like Christians who are really studying this, that sometimes there's a peace that comes with an avoidance of something yeah. and a, because it's the relief of not having to face it. 
versus a piece that's coming from looking at a challenge that God's really putting in front of you. And so the I'll pray about it until I have peace scenario, I don't always trust that either. <laughs> I think where this all comes down to, like you said earlier, is nuance. We, If there's an either or, or right, wrong, or black, white on some of these things that are so complicated within our soul, and in our walk, this is meant to be a journey that we have through our whole life. I promise not one teaching, not one answer, not one thing is going to make it suddenly better or suddenly flip a switch to make it all different. Like we have to walk this out. And I think that it goes to the point, even in our Christianity, that this is relational. Mm -hmm. I need to be having my ear tuned to the Holy spirit, literally every second I'm breathing. Like he lets me know when something is off, right? Or when I've reacted out of pain versus out of mercy or out of grace or out of compassion. Um, being spirit-led is something that we don't just become overnight. I right. really think that this is something that I will be working until the grave on. That the more and more I lean into that, though, the more spirit-led I am, the less of me is maybe hopefully abrasively rubbing off on other people and the more of him that can be given to them then. So that's why this work is important. It's not because we just want to sit around and think about ourselves all day. It's we want to think about ourselves less, but if we don't even know how much we're thinking about ourselves in literally every interaction every day, then we don't even know what we need to do to make our spirit led self lead forward versus these other parts of ourself that are reacting and controlling and protecting and all of that. So we're going somewhere really cool with this conversation. I know y'all have stuck with us for a few weeks as we're laying the groundwork. Um, you want to tell them about our guest next week? Um, I'm really excited. We've, yeah, we've been kind of teasing this at you guys. So we've said all along, there is no one, one tool, not one magic thing, but we've, what we found with things like the Enneagram, or we talk a lot about Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart and using it as a dictionary for emotions. We found a bunch of tools and we're using them and overlaying them with each other to kind of like move towards more integration and wholeness. And so we do have a guest on next week who is an expert in what we call internal family systems, IFS. And she's going to introduce that tool to you guys and that concept. And then we're going to spend a few weeks talking about that and how we've uh, been walking through that tool in our own lives and how it works with the Enneagram. And we're just really excited for it. So don't miss next week's episode. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.